Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin, I'm on the phone with Brian, and today we're going to be talking about the 2013 horror film The Conjuring. Directed by James Wan and starring Patrick Wilson, Vera Farmiga, Ron Livingston, and Lily Taylor. And this is the story about a family that experiences some paranormal activity after they move into a new house. Um, Brian, this is only like the second James Wan film we're doing on this podcast, right? Have we even done a James Wan film? I didn't think so, but I think we, we did The Nun on here, right? Uh, yeah, but did he do that oh shoot that's a good question i don't think i mean he definitely didn't direct it yeah um i can't remember if he had any if he wrote the uh he might have like written the story possibly the screenplay but it was directed by corin hardy oh you're right yeah uh he might have been like the producer too or like the executive producer or something yeah i'm sure he was a producer yeah damn so then this is the first uh james wan directed film we're doing huh yep that's yeah, kind of wild. Th- I mean, it's the third film in the Conjuring universe that we're doing, because we did The Nun and we did The Curse of La Llorona. Yeah, sure. Uh, which, are you, like, you're you're sure that one fits in this universe, right? Yeah. Um, the Nun very snugly fits into the universe. The Curse of La Llorona was pretty tangential, but it, it is yeah. part of the universe, technically. Yeah, that, that's what I thought. I, I, was, I was reading up, like, on the franchise, and I, I didn't see that, like, explicitly called out. It might be more indirect, though, in, in The Link. Yeah, I think the franchise is now being called The Conjuring Universe, and there are eight films. Okay. Uh, those those are The Conjuring in 2013, Annabelle 2014, The Conjuring 2 in 2016, Annabelle Creation in 2017, The Nun in 2018, Annabelle Comes Home in 2019, mm-hmm. The Curse of La Llorona in 2019, and then next year, well, I guess this current year, I keep forgetting, it's 2021, Yeah. Um, the Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. Yeah, I know, a third one coming out this year? That's crazy. Yeah, and then there's two more in the works, a, a, another one in the the Nun franchise, and then another one called The Crooked Man, another okay. spinoff. Yeah, and you know, admittedly, I haven't seen any of the Annabelle films, have you? I saw the first one. I still need to see creation and comes home i feel i've heard one of them's actually pretty good i want to say creation is that that's the second one yes oh okay yeah uh yeah i mean it's it's so cool that this kind of like spawned this whole franchise of you said eight movies yeah that's awesome pretty big yeah um and i mean i guess like franchising is isn't like new for james wan like he was he directed the first saw which I, i didn't realize that so right. uh, that that obviously went on to like how many parts are there to saw now like six or seven? Eight? Oh man, I can't I can't keep up. Yeah, it might be it might be upwards of eight. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and uh, Insidious has at least three. Oh right, yeah, yeah. But it, it just blows my mind that like this is the first uh, James Wan that we're uh, seeing, um, and like we've like reviewed four Rob Zombie films somehow or three. <laughs> like, <laughs> what's what's going on? Yeah, man, I mean, James Wan, he's had such a huge influence over the uh, 2010s, not only with the movies he's directed and the franchises that they've spawned, Mm -hmm. but it just seems like these kicked off a wave of haunted house movies and even maybe kind of jump scare movies. Yeah. Right, yeah, they kind of have their own brand of horror, and yeah, I I kind of missed this. Like, this is like such a, uh, like a cultural... um, uh, yeah, I guess it's kind of like a cultural film, or at least like a generational film. Like it, it really has a legacy, and it's like shaped a lot of the horror that we see in like the last few years, and probably yeah. like the closest things like a standard horror format uh, that that I, that I can think of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, starting with 2010's Insidious, in the next ten years you had Sinister, The Woman in Black, uh, Conjuring, of course, the Babadook, Annabelle movies, Housebound, the Poltergeist remake, Lights Out, The Boy, The Pretty Thing That Lives in the House, or I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House, Terrified Veronica, you could even loop in Hereditary, Malevolent Winchester, it's it's a lot, a lot of haunted house movies. Sure, yeah, and you think a lot of it was like spawned from this? I think so, man, and I was working on a little pet theory, um... I don't know if it's my own or not, but in um, a podcast called Nightmare University that I think has been since retitled Colors of the Dark, and I've mentioned it before on our show, 
Uh, it's hosted by Dr. Rebecca McKendry, and they did an episode called Haunted House Horrors, where her, her and her guest, Jared Rivette, discussed this cycle of haunted house movies in the late 70s and early 80s that influenced pretty much every haunted house movie ever made after that. Oh, okay. Um, so they talked about Burnt Offerings in 1976, The Amityville Horror in 79, The Changeling in 1980, and The Shining in 1980, and Poltergeist in 1982. And they posited at least for the Amityville horror I don't know if they looped in that whole cycle with this that it was kind of symbolic of the end of an era of upward mobility in the US and the baby boomer boomer generation not necessarily being able to have the future that was promised them with this tight nuclear family where the dad worked one job and the mom didn't even have to work and they could afford their house and then you know all of a sudden sudden you're in an area where you're struggling to pay the bills and you don't have what you grew up with. Wow, um, that is deep. Yeah. And like, you know, the haunted house symbolizing that, the, you know, the scary times are in your own home and you might be stuck in a house like in Amityville. They couldn't leave because they had suck, sunk all their money into the house. That's so interesting. It's like the death of like the American dream of the 50s and 60s. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, and so I have to wonder if this all happened starting in 2010 as a result of the housing market crash and the Great Recession in 2008. Wow. Um, yeah. A lot of foreclosures, yeah. right? Yeah. Dude, that's that's deep, man. I, I, I see it. I, 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 could, I could sign up for that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because, I mean, that's they they talk about that. He's Ed Warren asks them, like, why don't you just leave? And they say basically that they can't afford to. I know, yeah, yeah. There, there's that. That does seem like an underlying theme in a lot of these movies. Just like this financial, uh, like yeah, lack of mobility, basically, where you're stuck in the situation. Yeah, with the, the rotting yeah, and they also house. mentioned in that episode a lot of the tropes we see in haunted house movies started in those five movies that I mentioned, and a bunch of them are in The Conjuring. There's like a child talking to an imaginary friend. Um, which was also in The Exorcist earlier, but a ball bouncing out from nowhere, clock stopping at a random time, a music box. Yep. And then her her co-host kept mentioning this like trope in all the movies, is daddy going to kill us with an axe, is what he called it. Um, and <laughs> That's a trope on its own. <laughs> and yeah, there's a variation of that in this, this yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, watching it, I, I feel like they, I don't know if they're like a, a lot of fresh new scares, and we could talk about that in the review, but yeah, I yeah. feel like there's like a lot of recycled elements that we've seen in uh, movies from that genre. And that's interesting, because even like House of the Devil, which came out like, um, I don't know, in the last like five, ten years, right? We just did an episode on it, and I already forget. I want to say that was 2012, or was it 2008? Ah. Shoot. <laughs> God damn it. That yeah. was like a month ago. I know, I know. But like, you know, that, that's a, a new age haunted house film, uh, technically. And that also like, it's kind of set in like that time period. Like it pays like direct tribute to like 70s, 80s horror films, right? Like haunted right. house films. Yeah, for sure. So, so uh, 2009 was House of the Devil. Okay. I rarely look things up while we talk, but. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice. But yeah, 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 like you're, I think you're totally hitting on something there where like a lot of these haunted house films uh, are directly connected to those uh, 70s, 80s haunted house films. Yeah, for Interesting. sure. Yeah, and I mean, they, they, they hit on that. That wasn't me, but mm-hmm. my touch was the financial crisis in 2008. I may not be the first to make that connection. Ah, yeah, that seems like a huge coincidence. Uh, I, I definitely think there's something in there. Um, yeah, it makes me wonder when, when that we're going to get the next fresh round of those. Or what, it's just interesting to see how, uh, and she talks about that a couple of times on her podcast, how historic events trigger certain types of films. Right. Like she made the connection between 9-11 and Guantanamo and the torture porn wave of the 2000s. Mm, interesting. Then we're, we're definitely like probably in for something then, like given the last year and the pandemic. Yeah, there's that's there was some talk of that, especially early on in the pandemic, like how, okay, what, what is this? What's this going to start? What's the next big wave of horror because of the pandemic? Yeah. Hopefully it's a bunch of like host like films. <laughs> yeah. Most people seem to think that's too obvious and we're sure. going to see it manifest itself in some other way, but I don't know, yeah. man. Yeah. Probably yeah, a little more, more subtle, but yeah, it, it, totally. Uh, the times have an effect on like the content and the type of scare that they're bringing. That makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the other thing about all these films that, that you mentioned, uh, especially like in the Conjuring universe, I feel like they all have been pretty big, like blockbuster hits. Do you get that sense? Yeah, man, for sure. Yeah. Like I, I think when this came out, 
it broke a record and became the highest grossing uh, R-rated film on, on its opening weekend. Uh, did you, you see that record? I think it was the highest opening for an original R-rated horror movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. At the time. I think that's been broken a couple of times since then. I'm sure. Yeah, right, right. Um, yeah, it had it made $320 million. Yeah, right. That's a pretty successful film. Yeah, it's the eighth highest grossing horror film of the 2010s. And Ooh. to your point, like this whole franchise being a big, big money pull, uh, two of the movies higher than that on the list are in, the, in the universe, Conjuring 2 and The Nun. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Damn, that's uh, surprising about The Nun. I, I don't think you and I were big fans of that one, were we? No, it was pretty average. I liked it, but it was nothing special. I just think the uh, everybody was pretty hyped for it just because of its place in the... Uh, the universe and um, yeah, and it had Tysa Farmiga, who's pretty popular, and the advertising I think was pretty good. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say all these films have had like pretty good uh, budget in terms of like uh, cast, great cast, great production. Uh, I, I feel like there's like a consistency with these films that they deliver on like those similar scares that people like. Yeah, yeah, consistent for sure. Yeah, yeah, solid franchise. Um, so this is the one that kicks it all off, and uh, it's based on the Warrens, uh, who were this couple that started this like paranormal activity group back in the fifties, and uh, they were I think they were one of the ones that did the Amityville house in real life. Then they uh, also looked into the Annabelle story as well as the story that spawned Conjuring. Do you know which actually? Yeah, do you know which family it was that it was the Conjuring that that was based off of? Um. What were they called? The Larones or the Perones? Like that was their actual. Perones, that was actual yeah, case. that was okay. the actual family. Perones, P-E-R-R-O-N. Got it. Yeah, um, these these guys, I, I don't feel like reputationally uh, have like held up. Um, uh, there's been like a lot of criticism, and like they were very, I think, um, embedded with their church and like the idea that if you don't believe in God, then like you're gonna you're opening yourself up for these hauntings. Have you looked into their legacy at all or their work? Yeah, just briefly today, um, it does seem to be most of the things that they've researched or investigated, um, some of the more prominent one were revealed as hoaxes and yeah. others, you know, best case, worst case, it's a hoax, best case, there's no evidence to support a, any sort of supernatural activity. Right, right. Um, and Ed also had someone come forth and accuse him of uh, having an affair with her when she was 15. Yeah, I saw that. That's That's disturbing. Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's fun to think that all these things that they investigated are real, right. uh, supernatural hauntings. And, you know, we all have, we have listeners that believe various things. So, yeah. but it, it, there doesn't seem to be evidence to support those claims yeah, from what like, I've seen. Right. Right. Like the number of cases they've done, like, uh, yeah, I don't think people are, uh, validating them yet. Um, yeah. which is disappointing because I, I love the film the, the whole field of uh, paranormal investigators and uh, you know they're, they're definitely like legit ones out there so it's interesting that these guys have like so much fame uh, to their name when I uh, think we all want so bad for that to be true to have some evidence that yeah that ghosts are real and that hauntings happen right yeah exactly yeah I know I, which I mean I, I do, do you know any paranormal investigators or do you follow any other ones I don't do you I had a coworker that was one, and uh, yeah, he swore by it, man. Like they would go to houses, put recorders out, and he's like captured like some things on uh, audio files that like he swears are like uh, you know ghosts or whatever. So yeah. I don't think it's that hard. I mean, I think if you and I went to a house someday and just like put up a, a microphone on like a really high volume, could pick up on some <laughs> things. <laughs> All right, done deal. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd be interested. It sounds really cool. Yeah, I'm intrigued. I don't believe in this kind of thing, but I'm intrigued by it. And it's hard, too, because I don't ever want to say, like, yeah, your buddy's lying. Or, like, you know, <laughs> I have people close to me who have had experiences, and I don't... It's weird. I, it's this duality in my mind where I believe them and think they're telling the truth, but I also don't believe in yeah the supernatural. So, I don't know. Yeah, it's I mean, a paradox I, I think... in my mind. Yeah, I, I think you can have both of those because the, the the one thing is like there is like something that's making some sound or that's making some like lights or whatever like the the signs are that people are observing, and then like it's another thing to like believe it's a ghost or like it's not like something else. So right. uh, I I think you could like be on board with like the first one and not necessarily the second one. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's just cool to catch kind of like strange stuff going on that you can't explain. For sure. Yeah, the unexplained is always interesting. Yeah. Right. Right. 
Um, and then uh, the writers here uh, were Chad Hayes and Carrie uh, Hayes, and I think they wrote the House of Wax remake and The Reaping. Have you seen either of those? Um, no, I haven't. Uh, they also did The Turning. Oh, <laughs> you watched that one, right? I did go see that one in the theater, yeah. Any any good? I actually liked it. It had a horrible ending, but uh, yeah. I wrote a review of it on our site if anyone wants to go read it. Yeah, wasn't that, wasn't that like one of the early films like get like a terrible review or something? Or yeah, did, yeah, it was... Uh, for the year. Boy, we probably sounded like broken records. I feel like we just talked about this. But yeah, The Turning and The Grudge in January of 2020 both got F cinema scores. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cool. You liked it, though. That's good. Some some movies are just fun. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I don't have anything else. Uh, you, you got anything else? Um, the only other things I wanted to mention mention were um the mpaa gave it an r rating because it was they just said it was too scary <laughs> oh they give it an r rating because it was too scary yeah they were basically like there's no specific scene you could cut or like yeah it's not the violence or the gore or the subject matter it's just too scary to give it anything but an r i'm surprised man uh that that's like a weird thing to be like oh this is too scary for like kids under 18 that's yeah that's interesting it is interesting Oh, and then another thing I wanted to touch on. Mm-hmm. Do you feel... I, I think there's a common uh, sentiment in the horror community that jump scares have gotten out of hand lately. Yeah, right. Do you think that movies like the James Wan films like Insidious and The Conjuring help to kick that off? Like the, I, I the films think so. themselves and the copycats? Yeah, yeah, I kind of think so. And it, it's so weird because I feel like you and I haven't been watching these kind of films for a while. And uh, like I, I just got so used to like kind of not expecting or seeing so many jump scares. So that, that's one thing that jumped out to me about this movie is like it, it's, it is kind of reliant on a lot of jump scares. Uh, so yeah, I could see this as kind of like setting that trend and like starting that downward path. But uh, yeah, what, what do you think? Yeah, I think so too. I think it did start it. Um, I did read an article that it referenced wheresthejump.com, which is a website that will tell you how many jump scares in a movie and can even <laughs> tell you the timestamps if you're oh, wow. really not into jump scares. Yeah. Um, they reported that the jump rate peaked in the 80s during the slasher boom and then stayed the same. Okay. But I question, well, here's what I think is maybe happening. They did make lists of like the biggest jump scares of each decade, or like the movies with the most jump scares. Jump scares. Mm-hmm. And in the 2010s, the movies in that list have way more jump scares than the movies in any other decade. Oh, so they're not actually counting the number of scares; they're just counting the number of films that have jump scares. I think what they're doing in that thing, when in the data where they say the jump rate peaked in the 80s and stayed the same, they're mm-hmm. averaging it out for all movies. I see. Yeah. But I think what's happening is like 2000s, 2010s, we also get a lot more slow burn horror that started yeah. to trend too, yep. which I think evens out the fact that there are then more movies on the high end that are really heavy Interesting. on jump scares. Yeah, yeah. Because that, they also have a list of the, be- the the movies with the most jump scares overall for all yeah. of history, and seven of those 15 are after 2010. Wow. That's crazy. What do you happen to know? Like, what the number one movie is in terms of like number of jump scares? Um, the Haunting in Connecticut Two has thirty-two jump scares. Oh my god, <laughs> that's that's so interesting. And that that was after twenty ten. Uh yeah, twenty thirteen. Insidious oh is on the list too for most overall. It's got twenty four jump scares. Got it. Wow, interesting. Yeah, that definitely seems like a signature of James Wan. Is uh, you, you know when you're going to a film of his, you're gonna have a number of those. Yep. Um, yeah. but yeah, you know, I think you're right. And I like that about the older movies. Uh, like they would just be focused on one or two jump scares, um, like, like the exorcist and stuff, uh, and some of those classics. Whereas, yeah, like today you get them, uh, at like such a volume when a movie does it, that it kind of waters it down or maybe cheapens it up. Um, so there, there's an art, right? For how many, if, if you have a jump scare and how many you have. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not against jump scares, but I think we all, you know, we all have a little bit of burnout because of these movies that lean really hard on them. Yeah, yeah, I know, and and I, I feel like the other thing about jump scares is like they're so much more fun like in a theater versus that I don't know like watching it at home if it's like the same appreciation for them. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, yeah. Don't you don't have you... a lid on your drink at home. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, you, you got a nice couch that you, you know, you're going to have to pay oh, God for. God damn it. The couch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you're not like wearing your diaper at home like you do when you go outside. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of things against you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, theater diapers. <laughs> All right, well, uh, you got to know how connection for us? I do, and boy, I'm really dragging out this first half of the podcast, but before then, I really want to thank our Patreon supporters. We haven't shouted them out by name in a long time, so thank you to Bjorn, Amy, Sam, Cooper, Moon Monk, Margo, Becca, Blake, and Kelly. That's everyone who has ever contributed any financial support to the show. Uh, Thanks so much, guys. It's been a big help. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Yeah. Um... Okay, our Ohio connection, as always, is done by our friend Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio, which, uh, Ashwin, Alex told me they are currently closed for the season until spring happens and they can can open up their patio. Okay, thanks for the heads up. Yeah. Um, But when that happens, you can order them on Grubhub, Uber Eats, or go check out their socially distanced patio. And Alex says... The Conjuring and its subsequent films focus on the practice of paranormal investigation or ghost hunting. Apparently it's a profession, although more commonly a hobby. Broadly speaking, a ghost hunt can be extremely simple and innocent, thinking, think teenagers exploring a creepy abandoned building, to extremely technical, the use of thermographic cameras, digital thermometers, etc. In August 2006, there was a pretty insane incident of ghost hunting gone wrong when 40-year-old Alan Davis shot and paralyzed 17-year-old teenager Rachel Berenzinski for trespassing on his property with two other girls. They were wanting to scare themselves as the house was thought to be haunted. And the shooting Mm. occurred overnight when the three girls stepped only a short distance onto the property using cell phones to light their path. The house was obscured and generally creepy, and Davis, an eccentric hermit himself, lived there with his elderly mother, who had developed a reputation of her own as witchy, keeping an oversized cauldron in the front of the home. Wow. <laughs> uh, and Davis was sentenced to 19 years in prison, leaving a small community torn. Many understood his right to protect his property, especially noting the time of day, and his assertion that this was a common occurrence amongst local teens and others noted the innocent nature of the girl's intent, how far they had stepped onto the property, and the lack of a no trespassing sign. Mm. And this incident occurred in Worthington, the suburb of Columbus, Ohio. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, kind of wow. sad. Yeah, yeah, that is sad. I, you know, I remember uh, a similar instance like growing up uh, in Ohio where someone got shot for trespassing and I thought like the court ruled on the side of the guy who uh, who did the... Who's like who like shot the kid or whatever? So it's uh, yeah, and this one sounds like it was, it was a little more gray, huh? Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, I feel like if someone breaks into your house, all bets are off. But just your yard, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, right, right. Our neighbors cut through our yard all the time. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I think I think you got to accommodate a little bit of that uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, it's funny though, cause I feel like every, everyone like who grew up, like there's like a house in the neighborhood, right? That like has that haunted, uh, reputation. Right. It has that reputation for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's a, it's another thing to kind of go around trying to get into it. Yeah. And if you know that you're that house, like I'm sure it would be a bummer and like you'd probably be hassled, but <laughs> yeah, to shoot people, I mean, you gotta yeah. know what they're up to. Yeah. 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 That's pretty extreme. Agreed. All right, cool. Oh, yeah, no, great great connection. Worthington, Ohio. Nice job. Yeah. Thanks, Alex. Uh, cool. Well, anything else, uh, or do you want to get to the plot and our review, and we'll hit the spoilers? Yeah, let's get into this. Okay, cool. Hey, uh, do you mind if we take a quick break, though? There's something I got to look into before we start here. Okay, sure, man. All right, thanks. I'll be right back. Hey Brian, sorry about that. Everything okay? Yeah, you know, it was, it was just it was really stinking in here, so I, I had a paranormal expert come by to take a look, but turns out it was just me farting in, in the closet. It's really <laughs> farting up a storm in here. You ever you ever have that? You kind of gas yourself out of your <laughs> studio? <laughs> yeah, recording in a closet has its perils. <laughs> it does. <laughs> some some hazardous working conditions. <laughs> yeah, or if your recording diaper gets full. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, my nose does. <laughs> <laughs> 
Cool. All right. Well, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, let's, let's go over the plot. Uh, we'll talk about uh, our thoughts on the film and we'll spoil it as we go. But uh, this movie kicks off uh, kind of an interesting way where uh, it's a frame story, I, I guess, where uh, they talk, they're talking, it's like an interview with a few roommates and they're talking about this doll that we all know now as Annabelle. And uh, this doll has been haunting uh, these roommates. It's become possessed and it like starts leaving them notes and destroying their apartment. And through this interview, we're introduced to Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are these paranormal investigators. And basically, this opening serves as a way to introduce them and for them to explain that the doll isn't necessarily possessed, but um, it's, well, uh, wait, was the doll, the doll was possessed, right? By like a demon or something? That was confusing to me, the way they explained it. Like, it yeah. was using the doll as a conduit to get closer to them and eventually possess them. Oh, wow. But they didn't think the doll itself was possessed? I was a little confused by their explanation there. Me too. Yeah. And, and then the they're always playing it real cool. Like, they're surprised you don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Back it up. What? Yeah. <laughs> Can you spell that out one more time? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're very confident about these explanations. But nonetheless, they do take the doll with them. Uh, so, the, yeah, the doll had some value there. What did you think of this opening, though? Like, pretty, pretty scary and effective? I thought it was a little cheesy, to tell you the truth. Um, mm-hmm. It may be minorly scary. Um, a little cheesy and so tangential to the rest of the film that it, I'm just so-so on it. What did, what did you think? Yeah, I think I liked it a lot maybe the earlier, like when I first saw this film. This time it did feel kind of unrelated and like the scares were based on like loud noises of like the, the door being knocked on. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't think it was like too effective or chilling. Yeah, and I mean, one thing will that will affect, I, I'll come out and say it too, I really liked this movie when it came out, but it'll be interesting to see if our opinions are different now. We've got an entire decade of copycat movies to, yeah. you know, not I don't mean to demean those other movies, but this kicked off a trend and it's hard to go backwards and assess the things that started the trend. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's so weird that like seven, eight years later, this movie could be perceived so differently now. Right. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, so yeah, th- then we jump to the main family of this film. They're the Perone family. Um, they're moving into a new house. Uh, they have a number of daughters. I think there are like five of them, but I-, I-, I couldn't count them. Could you? Yeah, there were five. <laughs> there were, okay. I mean, I just know they were, they were like oh, girls running around all the time. So uh, weird things start happening right off the bat. Their dog won't come into the house, and the next morning they find the dog dead. Uh, which reminded me of uh, our our last guest, Whitney. She hates uh, movies where dogs die, right? Yep, I had to think of Whitney when I saw that dog die. Yeah, yeah, that was unfortunate. Ho- hopefully she avoided that one. Um, the clocks also seem to all stop at 3.07 every morning. Um, the mother, Carolyn, she keeps waking up in the morning with new bruises on her body. There's some really bad smells at night, and one of the daughters keeps feeling something grab onto her leg at in, in the night randomly. Uh, there's one scene that I thought was chilling here where she wakes up at night and she's convinced that there's like a figure in the room watching her, but, uh, the other sister in the room can't see that. Uh, and, and, and then another one is like, there's a young daughter who has an imaginary friend that she can see in a, in a music box that she has. And then the other thing is these kids play this game of hide and seek where they blindfold someone and they clap to give out their location. And there are a few times where that happens where there's not a kid in the room and we kind of see these ghost hands clapping. So what do you think of like all these scares that they kind of start layering in here? I thought it, it felt a little long how much of it they did. Yeah. But yeah. I also appreciated the restraint they showed. Um, especially for a modern supernatural movie. Uh, they really kept things close to the vest for quite a while before we really saw anything and i thought that i agree with you that scene where the the young girl saw something but nobody else did and we didn't either as the viewer was really effective and a smart way to do it yeah it was kind of like that whole empty space thing right that you've seen in other films yeah yeah and and not revealing your hand too early yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a really interesting. It's like a mix of like a bunch of things. A lot of these like feels like things like we've all kind of gotten used to now in terms of the scares and like a little bit of predictable. But but you're right, like they're kind of restraining. We do see like a pair of ghost hands clap in the closet though, right? Yeah, yeah, that was, that was interesting. The ghost clap, I remember when everyone was first seeing this in the theater. I think the ghost clap was a pretty, pretty big deal, pretty epic scare. 
like those hands coming out of the closet and just clap, clapping. Yeah, or especially there's one later that might yeah. be the, the bigger one. Sure, sure. Uh, so yeah, th- so this all kind of culminates in, in one night, like it, yeah, to Brian's point, it's been kind of restrained up till now, but then one night the mom hears that clapping going on in the house, she goes into this creepy basement, and the lights cut out, and she's trying to get out of there, uh, but the door's locked, and so she's lighting this match, and she's hearing like a voice uh, also, and uh, one of the times when she lights a match, uh, a pair of hands clap right behind her, and then the scene goes dark. And we just see her like trying to get out of the basement, but she can't. Is that the? Was that a pretty scary scene for you? Yeah, the first time I saw it, for sure. Yeah, this time you were kind of expecting it. Yeah, yeah, it's still still well done, but yeah, and it had diminished. And and the other like jump scare, which just like happens like a few minutes right after this, is the daughters are looking above uh, like a dresser, uh, and they're you know they, they they think they see something there, and then we see like this. Uh, like a demonic woman or like a ghost of a woman kind of jumped down at them uh, from from the top of the dresser. So yeah, that, that kind of spooked me a bit. I, I, how did you feel about that? Yeah, I think between these two things happening at the same time, it was effective. All the scares, even if they're not super effective um, on, on us who are now jaded by these type of scares, <laughs> the direction and the cinematography on every scare in the movie was really effective to me. Yeah, yeah, it was, right. Yeah, the, the, the production and everything, like how it's paced, uh, it, it works pretty well. There was probably. one somewhere in this opening sequence, too, where a girl looks under her bed and we see the camera from basically her point of view and you're expecting something in the foreground, like under the bed. Yeah. But then way in the background, you see the bedroom door slowly open. Oh, and, yeah. And, and you can't see much of the door because it's just a view from under the bed. So you can just right. see like... A foot of the door and that was yeah. just like a really uh well composed shot and a smart way to do that and sure those are the type of things that uh i think have set this movie apart in history and created mm. this legacy yeah 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 those those are very effective uh, scares for sure uh so the family's like pretty spooked now with all the weird stuff going on uh they bring in the lorraine uh ed and lorraine or sorry they bring in the warrens uh <laughs> ed and lorraine warren and uh, we can uh, kind of get this, I, I think they immediately sense that there's like this darkness that's clinging on to the family and Lorraine can tell like that something uh, evil and like demonic is in the house. She also sees a vision of this woman hanging from a tree in the backyard. So they tell the family that uh, it's likely they're going to have to do an exorcism on the house uh, because some terrible things have happened there. And upon further research, they find out that what happened was there was a witch, I think, who lived in the house who sacrificed her baby as a sacrifice of the devil and since then like a lot of murders and suicides have been happening on that property um is that your understanding of the backstory yep that's correct yep uh lorraine's words in her sacrificing her child were that she used her god-given gift as an act against him Mm. yeah so i think we'll come back to to some themes like that i would say like about motherhood and stuff uh yeah and maybe just the uh god in general god yeah god cool all right so they decide they need to do this exorcism but uh they have to first get proof for in order to get the church to approve this so they bring in a crew of uh paranormal observers uh you know i I think we've all kind of gotten used to this trope maybe from insidious where you know you get like these two or three kind of goofy characters with like all this audio and sound and lighting equipment um which i I don't know uh, sorry Poltergeist is really where that probably started. Oh, yeah, you're right. Right, yeah. Dating back to the 70s or early 80s. Yeah, 82. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I like that. That, that. It always kind of like breeds in like some fresh new characters, like these usually like pretty geeky guys who are like all about like this, like audio files and stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so so they come there and they're, they're trying to like gather evidence. Um, and uh, that day, though, uh, while they're like setting up, Carolyn, the mother, she's in her bedroom sleeping, and uh, we see this entity, like a, that woman, I think, from the the previous scene that jumped from the top of the dresser, enter Carolyn's body uh, through her mouth, and then Carolyn kind of like wakes up and is acting normal, but I think we all know she was, uh, I think that's when she got possessed, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then uh, that night, the family gets attacked again. Uh, we find like one of the daughters starts sleepwalking, and she's led to the secret passage, uh, when Lorraine goes into that passage, uh, she finds herself stuck in the basement and she has a vision of this woman 
who is uh, who had died in, in the house, and she's basically confessing that she got possessed by this witch and was forced to kill her child. So now Lorraine, I think, kind of understands like how this witch works in terms of like possessing the mother to kill uh, the the children. Um, meanwhile, another daughter gets grabbed by the hair and is dragged around, and so they're able to catch that on video or whatever in photography. Uh, so after all that happens, the family flees the home and goes to a hotel. Did you uh, enjoy the sequence or, or feel like it was scary? The one with where she like falls into the basement and sees the woman holding her child. and Yeah, and we see like the ghost woman. I think so. Um, again, effective and respectably done, not necessarily super effective on me for this viewing. Sure. It yeah. was more respect instead of effect. <laughs> respect <laughs> instead of effect. How about you? Uh, you know, I, I think until this point, like most of the scares had been jump scares. Um, and like in this one, this I don't think it was a jump scare. Like she kind of just slowly turns around um, mm, and there's yep. like a face there. So I, I appreciated like them dialing back a bit on the jump scare. But um, yeah, it felt a little bit slower though. And, and more of like a plot. Uh, I think it was more there to like fill out the story. Right, like else. a plot progression point. Exactly, yeah. Um, so Ed and Lorraine feel like they have the evidence now, and they go to talk to this priest uh, who says he's got to get that through to the Vatican, and it might take a few days. I, I kind of love this trope. I, I feel like, have we seen this before, where like getting uh, the approval and the Vatican to come on board and send an exorcist on the way, or like do an exorcism, it's like a very bureaucratic process. Right. And like there's like a lot of paperwork involved and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I think in reality, it probably is. It's like, a lot of like, it's got to go through like a manager, a supervisor, a VP has got to sign off on it. Like I actually, I looked into like the Catholic Church's opinion on this movie. Yeah. Just like wondering if they really kind of washed their hands of it or approved of it. And the only criticism I could really find was like, yeah, that's not at all the process for an exorcism. You need a bishop <laughs> to approve. And I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's <laughs> the thing they chose to, uh, to pick apart about it. <laughs> you got the flowchart all wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sending papers to the wrong place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, so there actually is like a whole like approval process that has to take place, huh? Correct. Yeah. That, that's interesting. I, I was wondering, you know, we, we talked at the, at the beginning of this round, like, you know, doing like paranormal kind of stuff. It would be kind of cool to become like or get ordained in being able to do exorcisms. Like, would you uh, like put yourself ever for hire if like, uh, you know, someone wanted an exorcism or if you like were if, if, if you were bored one day and you wanted to have an exorcism done on you, like, why wouldn't you? Yeah, probably because you'd have to do so much paperwork, it wouldn't even be worth it. Yeah, which makes me feel like it's an industry that's ripe for uh, some kind of, you know, uh, oh shit, disruption, right? Like, uh, what's, what's the stuff, <laughs> what's the stuff, like some app from popping up, like an exorcism app where, uh, you cut through all the red tape, you can get like an exorcist at your door in like 20 minutes. Yeah. Why hasn't Silicon Valley gotten into the exorcism game? Good question. It's an untapped market, man. I really think they could. There's, there's <laughs> a lot they could capitalize on there. Goes along with like the whole like cleansing of the soul and mind. Uh, I, I think you could patch the package this up very nicely. Some all right. Get to work on that. Yeah. I think I might. I think I might. I'll, right. I'll keep I'll, you posted. I'll think of a name. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, all right, so th that night uh, we get we get a, a horror that goes on somewhere else. So Ed and Lorraine's daughter is woken up at at her house, uh, you know, separately. Like she's been kind of in the background of this whole film, uh, but she wakes up. She hears like a, a noise or like lights are going on and off, and she wanders into this room in the house where uh, Ed and Lorraine like keep all these artifacts, like Annabelle and other things that have been conduits for the devil. And in that room, she sees this ghost woman on a chair who uh, turns towards her and then throws this chair at her. But she's luckily able to escape because uh, Ed and, and Lorraine get back there on time. Uh, what did you think of this scene? Scary? Yeah, this was one of the more scary scenes to me. Yeah, I agree. I like the build. Like, it slowly kind of starts, like, ratcheting up. But it didn't seem, like, very jump-heavy at this point. Correct. Yeah, I was just kind of... I think anyone just rocking in a rocking chair with their back turned to you, creepy. You got me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, you don't have a rocking chair at home, I, I imagine? No, but I really want one. I love rocking chairs. Really? I'm an old and, and man that, at heart. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think we all get to an age where we're just going to get one, right? Yeah, just for sure. kind of waiting for that, yeah. Um, all right, so then, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed that prog progression, too. That was, that was good. 
And then that night, uh, Carolyn, who we all know is possessed, ends up dragging her two daughters back to the house with the intent to kill them. She's possessed. She's uh, you know talking the demon voice. She's uh, got the super strength now, and like everyone's like they're trying to hold her down and tie her to a chair, but she's like beating up and biting people. Uh, and so um, the Ed tries to you know the, the, we're still like a day or two out from when the. Uh, the, the exorcist can get there. Do you call a person who does an exorcism an exorcist? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. So we're still a day or two out before he gets there. So in a panic, um, Ed does the exorcism, and um, they're able to finally get the demon out of Carolyn after, like, Lorraine also comes and tries to appeal to Carolyn's uh, emotional, like, mother side by, like, reminding her of this, like, memory of her and her children that they talked about earlier. And they're able to expel the demon from her. Um, Carolyn pukes out the demon, and I think the demon is banished. And then the family ends up like lying around in the lawn doing like this big awkward group hug. Um, and then the movie ends with the Warrens getting a message that they've got a case to investigate out in Long Island. Which is that the sequel? Uh, that's a, an allusion to the Amityville horror. Oh, that took place on Long Island. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's cool. Yeah, the Warrens seem to kind of go everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I, I imagine they're mostly like north, the east coast, right? It was mostly New England, but I saw that they went to London for a case at one point. Or no, maybe not London, but somewhere in the UK. Wow. Damn. Yeah, ho- hopefully someone's footing that uh, travel bill. I gotta wonder. I mean, there's a little bit of an element there. Like, are you taking advantage of vulnerable people? Like, I'm sure you didn't pay to fly yourself out to the UK. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the more I read about them in, like, real life, I, I do think there's a, a little bit of that, right? Like, capitalizing on uh, a trend and, like, kind of selling people on these fears. Right. Yeah. I agree. Uh, I think makes... they seem, like, uh, by all accounts, like a sincere, nice couple, but, right. uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, and especially in this film. I mean, they, they don't get into all of that uh, aspect of it, but um, I think that kind of would have been cool, though, to see, like, because, uh, you know, there is, like, some, uh, obviously, like, the criticism around this uh, this couple. Uh, I don't think it's, like, they're portrayed that way in the film or, like, portrayed to be, like, overly uh, one way or the other, but uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how, how uh, they could have maybe baked in some of that, like, are these people who are, like, going around solving these cases, are they maybe problematic at all? But that would have been a whole other layer, I think, right? Yeah, I mean, it almost would have been better if this wasn't based on a true story because yeah. you've got Ed and Lorraine and their characters themselves are really the protagonists, even though the haunting is happening to this family and that's who you're with towards the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've got this, like, swagger to them, right? <laughs> <laughs> They're yeah. really strange characters because they've got this swagger. They're yeah. also kind of hokey and cheesy they yeah. are super religious and are talking about it all the time. Right, right. Um, which is unusual in a movie, um, in mainstream have like movies. Your, yeah, right, to have your protagonist be like someone uh, like like that, right? Yeah, I mean, religion really feels kind of at the forefront of this movie. And I know The Exorcist and Amityville, it's hard to... Every movie juggles so many horror movies juggle religion kind of tangentially, right? Anytime there's a demon or an otherworldly evil entity, that opposite kind of exists in that universe of that movie, but they're always just kind of there for plot devices. You don't get as much into it as you do in this movie, even in The Exorcist. I don't remember it being so much about religion. That's really interesting. I, I don't know if it jumped... Like, to me, the religion part in, in this film, uh, I thought was kind of, like, underplayed. Like, yeah, they put up crosses at, at some certain points, and obviously they go talk to the uh, the priests about, like, you know, getting an exorcism or wherever. Um, but other than that, like, even at the end, like, that final exorcism, um, like, I imagine, like, his reading from the Bible or something, but uh, I, I didn't... F- yeah, I, I didn't feel, like, overly religious tones, but maybe I just wasn't paying close enough attention. Like, you, you feel like throughout the movie... They're presented. Maybe it is, you know, to your point that these guys, like, while they are the main characters, they are missing from like the first, you know, quarter, third of the film, right? Right, they are. But, but you feel like I mean, it, they're there, yeah. but but it's really focused on the family, the Perones. I would I would counter your argument with that it's not really prominent, and that the last scene, or maybe right before the last scene in the movie, as it ends, there's a text on the screen. It's a quote from Ed Warren. 
and the quote is, Diabolical forces are formidable. These forces are eternal and they exist today. The fairy tale is true. The devil exists. God exists. And for us as people, our very destiny hinges upon which one... Oh, sorry. Our very destiny hinges upon which one we elect to follow. Which, oh, yeah, yeah. That's like one of the last things you see in the movie is like... Yeah. Hey, dear viewer, (laughs) your future hinges upon whether or not you elect to follow God. Mm, yeah, and yeah. That's pretty heavy-handed in a movie. And I don't. I know we have religious listeners. I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm sure a lot of conservative and religious listeners feel like they're bombarded with like more liberal or secular messages in movies all the time. Um, but this really stood out to me. It's pretty unusual. Yeah, that's a good point. I forgot about that quote, but yeah, you're right. And there's just a lot of other stuff, like Lorraine talking about how this woman killed her kid. Like, she used her God-given gift as a woman against God. And, like, the witch really is a witch. And, like, the Salem witch trials were real because they were actually witches. The ghosts knock three times as an affront to the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, Ed, and Ed, oh my gosh, he's portrayed as such, like, this masculine... Uh, <laughs> fixing know, the like car, car and yeah he's fixing their yeah. car like I know how we can like we need to help this family and he's like I'll start with the Chevy <laughs> like goes and <laughs> fixes their car randomly yeah yeah um, but they act like the swagger it, it's cool kind of and it's charming about them they act like they know everything mm-hmm. but at one point he asks Mr. Perone I can't remember that character's name Roger maybe he's like are the kids baptized and he says no he's like you might want to think about going ahead and doing that he just like says it so matter-of-factly as if someone had just told him they like haven't gotten their oil changed on their car in 10 years <laughs> like you're gonna want to go ahead and do that yeah 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 um, you're gonna consider that and yeah, that was damn. an issue with getting the approval for the exorcism like mm-hmm. the priest who they're trying to appeal to is like i don't know the kids aren't baptized oh right yeah like it's yeah. pretty uh i felt it was pretty in your face that's yeah. That's a really good point. When you, when you put it that, when you call out all those points, uh, I, I totally hear what you're saying. Um, and like, yeah, there was kind of like a savior mentality to like uh, those two. Like, they're intervening with this family that's like in, in crisis, basically. And they're they, yeah, they've just like got it all together. And like, they have like the insight or like the the power of God in a way to to help this family get through yeah. it. Um. So yeah, yeah, that, that's interesting. Which is cool uh, and like played well by Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson. It's a it's yeah. a they're strange characters because they are problematic in real life and they're not portrayed as such at all in the movie, but you can't really do, I mean, I hear what you're saying. It would have been interesting to put some of that in the movie, but I don't think you can really do that in this movie. Like it just, sure. It wouldn't have been the same. Right. Yeah. You can't really like undermine the the protagonists and like their agenda. Yeah. And like their swagger was part of their charm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, damn. Uh, yeah, and, and do you feel like that is consistent with the rest of the films in the franchise, or does it, it jumps out at you mostly in this film? I don't remember it jumping out as much in the other ones, even the Nun, really. Um, <laughs> Which is about a nun, yeah. <laughs> yeah, about a nun. Yeah. But, um, huh? boy, I, I, I've only seen about half of these, maybe two-thirds of them, and I, it's been a while, so I don't remember religion playing as heavily, I mean... Even the nun, I felt there were some like conflicting, like um, in a lot of movies like this, and like The Exorcist deal with like loss of faith and a testing of faith, which I think um, is something a bit more universal and not restricted sure. to the Catholic Church, yeah, um, yeah. Or Christianity in general. And like The Curse of La Llorona, even I think had some more. Wasn't there a dude who helped with like? Um, it was like a His spirituality right? was outside of the church a little bit. Oh, yeah. Right, right. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't really want to alienate any listeners. Come hang out with us no matter what. But uh, I, it was just unusual to me. I'm not used to that in a movie, to be uh, so so forthright with uh, religion and Christianity specifically and Catholicism. Yeah, yeah. No, you're, you're right. Uh, and it's just because we see, like, so many films with, like, devils or demons or whatever that, um, you know, anytime you have that, then I feel like that naturally lends itself uh, a conversation on, on the other side. But, yeah, it seems like these guys kind of went, like, one step further than what uh, we typically see on, on other films. Yeah. So that's, that's really interesting. 
Uh, well, yeah, good, good call. And then, um, so yeah, where, where did you land in terms of like uh, watching this in 2013 versus watching it now? Like, what did you come to like appreciate things more or less? How do you think it's fared? I think I appreciated the practicality of the cinematography and the direction, specifically in the scare sequences. Mm-hmm. Uh, I appreciated that more than I did before. Before, I've probably seen this one and a half or two times, and in the theater, I just thought it was a great thrill ride, and I was scared, and I thought it was great. And I still think this is one of the best haunted house movies of all time. Oh, cool. Um, but that being said, I don't always really like it. Um, it was long. It was like an hour and 52 minutes, and... The opening especially was long. I think typically in a screenplay, you've got the big event that changes everyone's life, and that happens 20 or 30 minutes in. It happened like 45 minutes in in this movie. Yeah, yeah. So it just really felt stretched. Um, but I do really respect a lot about it. Uh, how about you? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in a similar boat. Like, I, I loved this movie in 2013, and, like, I feel like I've saw it one other time, too, and such a, like, a great and, like, set, like, a new uh, benchmark for haunted house films. Um, but, yeah, watching it now, I did feel, like, a little bit uh, run down on the jump scares. Like, I, I thought there were, like, too many and, like, too close together. Um, but uh, your point about, uh, you know, like, the, the big scare not coming, like, within 20 or 25 or 30 minutes you know, of the film... Um, I thought that kind of gave it like a realistic element, like maybe this is um, more like a, a real life kind of, you know, based off like a real life scenario where you're setting these characters up, you're building the scares up like really incrementally and small, and it does kind of drag a bit uh, before you get to like that, that, you know, that night where everything culminates, but I also thought that that made it a little bit more uh, real and like effective when, when it did hit. Did You didn't feel that way at all? Yeah, I think that's what you're saying is true as well. Um, so yeah, it's a this movie is really a paradox for me in a lot of ways. Like a lot yeah. of things are true about it at the same time. Like these scares <laughs> are kicked off a whole new wave of movies like it. It's, I mean, it, partly Insidious as well, um, but they also recycled things from late '70s and early '80s again. Like yeah, they weren't doing anything new, but they also did it really well and. Did yeah, it well enough to kick off this new trend. Um, yeah, that's. I, yeah, I felt like that too. Like I, I didn't feel like there was anything like new with the scares. Like it, it did feel kind of recycled, right? Yeah, yeah, it is a bit recycled, and it's hard to go back on it now because we've seen so much of it for movies after this. But even so, I, as we mentioned, some a lot of those specific moments, the specific scares, are from those five movies from that time period. Um, yeah. And, and there's, like, a predictability with some of it, like the, the hand sure. clapping, you know, that's going to be, like, a, a device that's used later. Right, um, right. Or, uh, yeah, but, but like, I think some of those scenes that you talked about, like, the where, where like, there's a, an entity in the room that we can't see but others can, like, I think that's, like, kind of where this film is probably, like, the best in terms of drawing the, the scare there. Did you think it was maybe too ambitious to make the main characters both families, kind of? Oh, like, family on family? Yeah, like, I mean, the Perone family is a big chunk of the movie, and then you've also got the Warren family and their own Mm -hmm. relationship, and they're truly the main characters, but was it too much? Did it make the movie too big? Like, part of the slowness for me just was because of everything that was packed in. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, that's interesting, because you're right, there, there are a lot of, like, characters that are thrown into this, uh, but I also feel like uh, we didn't really get to know the prones. Like, I, I feel like more of the movie was, like, building up the relationship between Ed and Lorraine, and, like, obviously, like, there was some baggage they were carrying around from, like, past exorcisms, and so I feel like I never really got really into the prones or, like, understood, like, a lot of what was going on with them. Did, did you feel bought into them at all? I did at the beginning, for sure, like the first 45 minutes or so, and then they really kind of drop out of... The, mm-hmm. I mean, they're still very much there, but they're just kind of like props almost after that. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Like something for the scares to happen to, basically. Yeah, yep. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it was the five daughters that did it for me. I, I couldn't keep track of how many there were and who was who. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I think that it was really good performances, too, by um, Ron Livingston and... Yeah, uh, Lily, what's her name? Lily Taylor. Like they were both really believable. They were, yeah. Like Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga may have been more like. I don't want to say they chewed the scenery, but like, 
they were more of the superstars, but I thought Lily Taylor and Ron Levinson were really effective in their roles. Every performance in this movie was good. Yeah, yeah, great performance uh, by those two. Um, did you, I, I guess I didn't under, quite understand their backstory. Like, I know he was, like, a truck driver and they were short on money, but, like, why did they move and, like, where did they come from? Did, did you get any of that? I don't know why they chose to move. Um, I think they did get a good deal on this place. It seemed like maybe they needed more space. I mean, they had five kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't totally know why they chose the place. But I do know okay. he was a long-haul truck driver, and they were kind of in financially hard times. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I guess maybe that's all you need to know about them. And, uh, yeah. and then you're right, it's just kind of watching the things unfold. Right. Um, but yeah, in, in a way, I, I feel like this movie was kind of like a, a combination of like a lot of uh, like Amityville horror, like exorcism. They, they kind of, this was like, a, like packaging all that stuff together into like one uh, film, which I don't know, you're not really like in, inventing anything new then, right? Sure, agreed. Um, yeah. and I felt like the one thing that really set it apart too was, and I know I've mentioned the cinematography a few times, but it really gave it a certain style too. Mm-hmm. Like there was a shot where they, the camera starts outside the house in the front yard and then it's like a steady cam tracking shot. It goes into the house and like all through the house and then out the back door into the backyard. It just, oh yeah, it was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, yeah. The film has its own kind of like feel to it, and like an own like signature style that I think you see in like some of the other films that that were done. Yeah, yeah, and a real like the space of the house was really manipulated well. Yeah, yeah, but what a shitty house though, right? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It was kind of like falling apart. It it was kind of falling apart. Yeah, but, but it, yeah, I agree. They, they captured it really well, and it gave you the sense of the space. And I, I think the house really added to like the creepiness of the whole film. Yeah, so it's a good house to pick. Yeah, um, you know, some something I've noticed the past few years is whenever I see a movie based on a true story, I don't really like the screenplay as well. Like, oh. it just feels like there's always stuff they feel they have to pack in that could have been best left out of the script. Just because it's a true story, they have to pack that in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know why, and I, I can't even think of any specific examples like they had to tie in here. Um, but I, I guess just the the drama between the Warrens. But it's hard because the movie's about both families, so I don't know. Yeah, and you know some of the the detail they go into about like the witch and the backstory and like how it affected like other people who live there. Um, you know, I think that dragged on a little bit for me. Did you feel like you needed all the explanation or like it like opened like any new doors of knowledge for you? Yeah, probably not necessary. It may have even been better to leave some of that uh, un- undiscovered, make it a little more a fear of the unknown. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, even like, you know, the, the Annabelle conduit thing. And I was really confused at the end because I thought the house was... Uh, possessed, but they're able to do an exorcism on her, and does that mean the house is fine now? Yeah, and earlier on, they were like, you you can't leave this thing's attached itself to you yeah. at this point. Um, so yeah, I think it just attaches itself to whoever's in the house, but yeah, there's some open-ended questions there. And Annabelle is strange, too. She's not really a part of things. It, I think that's another thing that's in there just because, and like the, the fear with the daughter... Uh, back at home and her seeing Annabelle it's just it's a lot to squeeze in not that I didn't enjoy that part but yeah <laughs> I don't know I guess I just found myself a little bored sometimes I'm trying to figure out why mm. yeah yeah me too I was, I was uh, on Instagram a few times here too yeah so, that's uh, yeah yeah definitely parts where it kind of slows down they get into like explanation paralysis maybe or, um, yeah, they're packing in too much or, like, the story's going in too many different directions. Um, but I, it kind of makes sense in the context that they're trying to set up a whole franchise around this and, like, this is going to, like, spawn so many, like, offshoots. Yeah, and I wonder if that was intent from the get-go. I didn't read anything about that. Yeah, I would hope so. Like, otherwise, like, why go into, like, the Annabelle story or, um, yeah, like, the, or that room of, like, the, the haunted items? Sure, and I'm sure they knew right off the bat, like, hey, we've got a whole well with yeah. all these stories of the investigations that the Warren family did. Yeah, right, right. And, yeah, you right. know, Insidious 2 came out, I think, the same year as this, so James Wan was no stranger to the concept of setting up a franchise, and Saw, I mean, gosh, he was yeah. probably however many movies into Saw at this point. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I think franchise was definitely in the books when they were writing this one. Yeah, you're um, probably right. 
One one uh, last uh, critique. Um, uh, you know, you, you talked about like how you like the scares. Uh, they were all like well done. Well, you know, some of them were well done. Um, but like visually, uh, I was surprised that like there's no like kind of gross scenes in this really, or there's no kind of uh, really like scary monster that like sticks with you or like a visual that you come away with like a gory thing or anything. Um, did, did did you feel like like the anything was memorable in terms of like the makeup effects or like what you saw? In terms of like, I think the most memorable thing was probably that when she did get possessed, the demon above her like barfing blood into her mouth. Mm, but yeah, that yeah. happened so quickly that it didn't feel that it didn't really burn into your brain. I hear what you're right. saying. There's no like main scare or main image that you take away. Right. Yeah. Not like yeah. the nun, you know. Exactly. Or yeah. even Annabelle, really. Yeah, yeah. Unless like people took Annabelle away from this one, like thought that was like a scary visual. But uh, yeah, it's just kind of weird to like go through this whole horror film and then like at the end, like there were some jump out scares, but nothing really like uh, no like visual image kind of sticks in your head that like you're gonna be haunted by. Yeah. Though um, I don't know for you, maybe it's that rocking chair woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I think you're right. There, there is not one big takeaway, at yeah. least uh, creepy image wise for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't want to. <laughs> And we can cut this out if we need to. I don't want to be like all like, ah, oh, this movie's so like conservative and religious because <laughs> I don't want to piss anybody off. Sure. Um, and it's allowed to be, it can be. But there's also a scene where there's a cop who's kind of in this like crew on the in- investigation. And at first when something happens, he's like, oh, it's probably a breeze. And you again got this like swagger from all the believers who were like, oh, yeah, this guy's not a believer. Like he'll get it. He'll get it soon. <laughs> and then when he gets bit on the face by that, by, uh, what's her name? Lily Taylor's character. Oh, Carolyn. Yeah. yeah. After everything calms down and the movie's wrapping up, uh, the one kid who's on the paranormal investigation team is like, so did the draft do that to your face? <laughs> and the cop goes, I'd take a guy with a gun any day. And it was just like, it paired with the overall like conservative religious messaging of the movie. I was kind of like, is that like a, hey, guns aren't the problem thing? I, oh. <laughs> and like true evil is the real problem? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> could be a real agenda behind this. I don't know. It, it just like kind of smacked of all that for me, but maybe yeah. that was a... Uh, it, and that's another thing too. It's weird to look back on this in 2021. And right. <laughs> I, I was not in that mindset at all to be looking for that kind of stuff then. Yeah. Yeah. That I think kind of that stuff kind of wasn't st- really even in my brain. Right. Right. Yeah. That kind of stuff evokes like a whole new meaning today. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. That's a, that's a good catch. Damn. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't pick up on this stuff in, but yeah, you're, you're right. This was, there were definitely some notes of that uh, along the way. It's a good, good call. Uh, all right. Well, yeah. Uh, anything else, or do you, do you want to jump to the rating? I think I'm. I think I'm ready to be done. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, all that being said, then um, zero to five ghost hand claps. How many would you give this one? You know, I still give it. Boy, I couldn't decide between three and a, three and a half ghost claps. Mm. I think I give it three and a half ghost claps because it's it's fun. Above all, it's just like a fun ghost movie. Right. It's certainly right. got its problems. Um, but yeah, I just think it's a good haunted house movie. It's executed really well, high production value. You know, like you said, that that went on to be a staple of the franchise, and there's a reason they all perform well. None of them are downright awful. Right. Um, right. At least that I've seen. Um, and I liked it. I enjoyed, I enjoyed my viewing experience. So I'm going to go with three and a half claps. Oh, nice, nice. Uh, well, shoot, man, I'm, I'm I'm exactly where you are too, and most of the same reasons. Yeah, it's just like a fun watch, and you know, I uh, I, I appreciated like the character character interactions and like their their storylines. The jump scares were entertaining enough, and then um, I you know I had some mixed feelings about the climax, like ending with that exorcism, and if that was like the the scare that like I felt like there were more effective scares throughout versus uh, that that one at the end. But otherwise, uh, yeah, it was, it was just like a fun film, I guess. Yeah, oh, not too bad. Pretty I pretty agree. harmless, maybe. Yeah, yeah, it kind of is. It's like, it's a popcorn movie at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And it kind of like set the standard for like great popcorn horror films. Yeah, and I would say an artfully done popcorn movie. Yeah, yep, yeah, cool. 
Well, yeah, fun one to revisit, and uh, yeah, interesting how much can change in like seven, eight years uh, after watching. Because yeah, I feel like I would have given this like a four or five when I originally saw it. Same. I probably came out of that theater like yeah, four and a half, five. <laughs> this is the future. <laughs> yeah, this is what scary movies need to be. Yeah, and it was. Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> At least dollars wise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's funny because like so many of the movies that really make the impact on the box office aren't really what. Um, Died in the wool horror fans see as the legacy of a decade. Yeah, um, right. You think more about things like The Witch or Get Out, mm-hmm. um, Hereditary and stuff. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, Midsommar, uh, even like The Lighthouse. But yeah, I mean, this is the stuff that uh, is bringing fans into the theaters that are not. Uh, yeah, the people seeing every horror movie that gets released in the theater that are not yeah, the people it's... listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's kind of like pop horror right it's, it's made for yeah, the masses for sure it's very digestible yep yeah uh well yeah cool Any, anything else on this one i think that's it i'm spent all right me too another thing about religion and politics <laughs> yeah <laughs> another thing what's the deal with jesus <laughs> oh sorry <All> right. everybody <laughs> All right, well then uh, we'll wrap it up. Then. That, that's been our discussion on The Conjuring. Uh, if you enjoyed the episode, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcast. That's going to help other uh, people find our show, and we always welcome the feedback. If you want to join the discussion, you can find our social links on horrormovieclub.com or just shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. We're going to announce next week's movie on Facebook and Twitter, so in case you want to watch it beforehand, just keep an eye out there. We also uh, are active on our Discord server, where we're chatting up with other listeners and horror fans, so you can find that link on our website. It's a fun group. Uh, We also have a Patreon page, in case you want to throw some change our way. You can find that at patreon.com slash horrormovieclub. Our logo is by Amy Mae Popart, so check her out on etsy.com. And until next time... If you're in need of an exorcism, instead of waiting like a week for the church to get around to it, just give Brian and I a phone call and we'll get to you in the next day probably. (laughs) Uh, I've been thinking this whole episode, like by the end of this, I gotta have some clever app name. Oh yeah. (laughs) I know the X, the E-X is just turned into an X, but that's all I know. Ooh, that's a good start. Yeah, yeah. 